On this episode of AV Week, I'm here recounting and retelling the biggest stories for our industry in 2022. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. AV Nation is brought to you by Sure, because every voice matters. This is AV Week, episode 593, recorded Friday, December 20th, 2022. The best of 2022. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information, or at least it usually is. This time, we're looking back at the entire year. I'm your host, Mitchell Tulin, usually in the background, but this time filling in for one Tim. And if I may be so candid, I, I think I'm the right guy for this job. If you've seen or heard a show in the aviation sphere, there's a good chance my hand has been in it. And that's why I think I've got a great handle on everything that's gone on the past year for the commercial side of the AV industry. Also, not to brag or anything, but I have a little experience in tales of Scroogean recollection. Tis the season. And let me tell you, we are in no shortage for interesting news this year. Most people would say we're in a post-pandemic market, and that seems to be the case. Shows like ISE and Infocom are coming back to the physical space, even if in a smaller capacity, they'll get there. So supply chain issues and chip shortages continue to plague tech industries like our own, but there are spots of hope in the midst. One of the staples of our show that made a regular appearance was Avixa's Pro-AV Business Index. Since 2016, Avixa has published their monthly report of the health of the industry, in layman's terms. From a scale of 0-100, it would track the growth or decline. And surprisingly, in spite of chip shortages, supply chain issues, bouncing back from a global pandemic, market inflation, an oncoming recession, the numbers showed that AV was actually still going quite strong. We start our journey at AV Week 567 with Chris Netto and Rebecca Sullins talking about the state of our industry and where things would be moving going forward. You cannot turn on the, the nightly news without hearing about, oh my God, the sky's falling, the economy is this, the economy is, is, is that. And after a while, you start to believe that, right? Now, AV has done very well, I guess, over the last uh, year plus, especially in the UC side of the business, because that's what kept your businesses afloat. I mean, that's how people communicated, whether it was through Zoom or Teams or whatever uh, you see platform you're using and then incorporating uh, our technology into that uh, to do virtual events and stuff like that. And then once people started venturing outside their front door and looked and saw maybe COVID is still there, but not really ever present, then they started going out to places to see the experiential side of our business, right? Uh, the outdoor signages and, 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 and open air you know, things and concerts start to, to return. I think that's been the positive. Uh, the problem now is that uh, there's a couple things and it doesn't take a economics, you know, master to tell you that products are still scarce, right? Um, I just returned from Infocom. You know, everybody came to my booth and I'm a distributor. And, you know, the punchline is, do we get product before 23? Like, I can't control that. But one of the things that has come out of this is that, um, you know, it's not just any one company that's kind of hit with this. It's everything. Uh, it's everybody. Uh, whether it is the uh, chemical that goes into the paint that paints, you know, that is spray painted on your uh, speaker to, 
you know, the nuts and bolts that the installers need to, to install it. I'm going through that right now currently with a, I can't find three pieces of, of, of wood to, to fix a deck in my backyard because pressure treated wood is being bought in bulk by big companies and they won't sell me three pieces of wood. I got to go find who will send me, sell me these, the, these beams. Cause I've got holes in my deck. I can't get it either. So it's it's tough. It's it's a compounded thing, Tim. I I I don't think you need an Avixa report to tell you that the economy is kind of sh- shaky right now, no. right? Um, but I think people are, are are getting to the understanding that things are kind of weird. I think customers have allotted money for a lot of the UC stuff, and now are investing even more on the UC side. Um, what I'm hoping is that maybe this lull that we may be going through now is because they're preparing their their return, right? Because we've start and we've we try to jumpstart the return to work in numerous parts of this country a handful of times, and it's always been, you know, oh no, not yet. Let's move back. Um, and I don't want to not talk about the Great Resignation because I think that has parts to do with it as well, where people thought they were going back with fifty people into an office, and all of a sudden half those people have decided we're not coming back, not even back to the office. So now that changes the plan. So. Yeah, I think we're just in a very weird time. I think the third and fourth quarter of this year is really going to show AV's strength and what we can do as far as helping these companies that right now may be a little confused as far as where they want to go. And I'm talking about the end users. I'm not even talking about the integrators. Integrators know what they want to do and what they want to get out there. I just think that right now things are a little shaky. The good, I guess the good news um, about my particular company is we do a lot of jobs that are so big, like they're not going anywhere. Um, you know, I'm doing $2 billion stadiums right now. So those are fine, right? Those have always sort of been the staples. They're always going to be in the AV industry. What I think that we're kind of seeing right now, and this speaks to Nito's point about the economy, the recession, the great resignation, all that kind of stuff. But you couple that with a perfect storm of people doing it for themselves. And this is sort of a weird, when I first got into AV, nobody would touch AV gear, right? Nobody would pick up a microphone. Nobody knew how to plug it in. Nobody knew how to do all these things that we did, right? And now technology has so infiltrated our daily lives. You can't wake up without looking at a screen, without um, seeing a microphone, without your speaker talking to you, without something. AV is literally so inveterate in especially the American life, but let's go with, you know, all countries really, um, that people now do a lot of this stuff for themselves. And so what we've been seeing is so much rapid growth in the AV industry because everybody wants more, 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 more AV in their lives and they need it because they need their hybrid workspace. They need to work from home. They need, you know, I mean, I'm sitting here, I'm literally surrounded by eight screens. I have four microphones, you know, like, but now people are so used to it, they just do it themselves, right? So a lot of these sort of little things are going away. And I think that's what we're seeing, is we've seen the meteoric rise of the AV industry as it pertains to having AV around. And we've reached the pinnacle of that. And people are going to start doing it for themselves. And the integrators are going to go back to doing the things that people can't do, right? The stadiums, the line arrays, the, you know, the big, the big things and the experiential, you know, the, the, the retail, the immersive, um, AV stuff like that. Um, so we're, I think we're seeing a small subset of our business go back to the people, if that makes sense. 
And I think that's a lot of what we're seeing right now. We open our eyes to the next FIES. Uh, sorry, for as I have it, because we're going to AV Week 555, looking at digital signage, specifically a really cool recent trend of forced perspective advertisements. I mean, there's a good chance you've probably seen some version of this where the image just jumps right out of the screen as long as you're standing right in this exact spot and not moving. But rather than, you know, be a wet blanket and poke holes at it, Bren Walker, Chris Netto, and Mark Coxon discuss how we can get this kind of ingenuity within our own space to create truly unique experiences with AV. Let's say what it's not. It's not 3D. Yes. Um, it's not stereoscopic. No. Or even auto-stereoscopic. It, or auto-stereoscopic. And it's, it's not AR. And it's not a hologram. Yeah. So let's say all those things. Let's say what it is. It's really freaking cool. It's really like, freaking cool. It, it does. It's really freaking cool. So this is what happens when, and for me, this is this is where it gets really fun. This is what happens when you get people that actually know how to create content, work within a building and the building's existing architecture, and then add technology on top of that in a way to create an effect from a certain point of view that looks like it escapes the building. And there are a lot of there are a lot of factors that go into that, right? Like they actually parts of the screen aren't lit up as parts of the screen. They're lit up to look like the building, right. so that when the shoe comes out, it looks like it's going in front of the building when it's really still contained within the screen, right? And so that's a play of content, of perspective, of architecture, and AV all mixed into one to create this awesome experience. You know, it, I would say that's experience technology made by some group probably um, somewhere, but. Experience technology, and it's really freaking cool. And from that point of view, it's awesome. But I can recreate it with my 27-inch monitor over there in a cardboard version of a, of a building and make it look like that, make it look like it comes out, if you know the concepts. But it's a really, really great execution of a 2D screen viewed from the right angle with an awesome content producer and coordination with the, with the people who own the building. It's, the, it's a part of the evolution, right? And we're going to have all these sorts of things that are part of the evolution of getting to a, you know, I, I don't know that we ever, those of us ever really see the like complete virtual world where people are only in that world. It's beyond our lifetime. I think we continue to see the evolution of things that overlap. Yeah, I think so. I think to, to just to say what would be really, really cool, you know, those screens are viewed like if you're standing on the left side of the corner looking in, it looks like it escapes. But if you were standing on the right corner, it doesn't look like that because it's not, you would normally see the other view of that building from that side, right? Um, what'd be really cool is if you could take a, uh, do like a high frame rate, right? And you have a stereoscopic left and right view and use LEDs with louvers. So if you're standing on this corner, you see the right view. And if you're standing on this corner, you see the left view and you actually get two different effects from two different viewpoints within the space. Yes. Now you start to think, and though all these things are possible, it's just as creative technologists, how can we help people think about, okay, that's cool. Now, how do we take it to the next notch and the next notch and the next that's notch? That's the exact concept I'm trying to sell an architect for a project that I'm working on. That concept exactly. See, this is why I had you two on together. He's not there yet. I got three more years to get him there, so we'll see. Mr. Neto, from a, a distributor standpoint, and, and, mm -hmm. and not for nothing, but distributors have evolved into service providers as well and, and consultants in their own right. So mm -hmm. talk to, to Coxon and talk to Bren about how you guys can kind of wrap it all together and go to clients with, with crazy ideas like this. We can't. 
I'm sorry. Okay. No, it's 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 not that easy. I mean, if you want to do these kind of things internally, we have a great staff, right? We have CTSDs, we have all the the Avixa certified guys and and and, and women in working at Starin, right? We have that, but I think this level of of imagination is not going to be seen, you know, or just going to be come from somebody who wants to sell boxes. This is something that is. You know, there's a math to this. Coxon will remind this to me every time that we were with Barco and we were working on, on LED or projector mapping or any of these projects that we were doing back then that there is a science to this, right? This is the side now, get ready because again, more booing is gonna happen, but this is the side that the AVIT conversation is not gonna talk about. There is a science to what we do and there's an art to what we do, right? This is where the IT separates from it, right? Because if the IT doesn't think with a, with an artistic mindset, uh, this is just the monitor on a screen uh, on, a, on a desk. To imagine this, you have to be, you gotta employ people that are graphic artists, right? That still pick up a piece of paper and understand how to make a sphere and how to make a, you know, how to make a cube, right? Some of these ideas that are shown there, I was doing in art classes with, with charcoal back in the day or with pen and ink. Absolutely love it. Did I continue on with this field? Absolutely not, because you put the computer in front of me, it couldn't happen. So there, these are the people that you're gonna be recruiting at a Parsons uh, School of Art and Design in New York, and you're gonna go to the art schools that are, that are not gonna look at the shape of things and just see a square, and they're gonna wanna go into depth perception and stuff like that. And then we can stand on a podium again and talk about how our technology is not ready for what we want to do, right? Because that's where that's where AV people thrive in is taking parts of things and, and all of a sudden have to having to rig it to make it work because it doesn't exist today, but it will one day. But until then, let's prove it wrong and let's see what we can do with what we got, right? So again, this is you're treading into magician territory for AV people. We're starting to get our wizards and magician titles back by by doing stuff like this. I went into New York, I went into Times Square and the Marriott Marquis has a massive LED screen that wraps around the corner. And they've done some ads like that before for Balenciaga and for some other uh, high-end um, ad people in that space. I went there and I stared and waited and I was there for about 20 minutes, me and Joe Dunbar, well, you know, we we're both in Manhattan, we were sitting there looking and all we got to see was a big old flat ad for Anderson Cooper. They used the turn, but it was Anderson Cooper's face and on CNN and then, Big Anderson Cooper on CN. There was nothing to it. It seems like now you're going to start getting flavors of digital signage and the content that goes in. Oh, you want regular content? Here's your happy meal of content. And then there is the custom stuff. And I think that's where Mark and Brenner are going to be playing more in than uh, the world of, you know, out of the box stuff. And most distributors, to be honest with you, and most people that are out there providing these services, uh, yeah, we, you know, we can sell the LED that goes with it and we can pr provide you with the service and, you know, the mechanical parts to it. But when it comes to the content creation, this is where it gets very tricky because we need to know where our strengths and weaknesses are. And right now, creativity is not something that we have in-house at Starin to create those kind of designs. So for us, we would probably go ahead and recommend, the, you know, one or two companies that are out there pushing those envelopes and doing that kind of content, right? And we're not out there to compete competing with the integrators anyway, who are gonna be looking to bring those folks in, right? About a year ago, maybe two years ago, we were talking about how data, data scientists were needed inside of AV. Man, if people had only hired some data scientists 
prior to the pandemic, they would have had some great data over the past two years of how things are being used in spaces. But no, we, we argued against that and we all decided that that wasn't a good thing. We were just collecting data and didn't know what to do with it. We could use some scientists. Well, the next argument is going to be, do we bring in the in-house content creation people? Yes, it's going to cost you money, AV folks. Company owners, it's not going to come cheap. You're not going to get them out of the Art Institute of Philadelphia on a dime. You're going to get them, and they're going to come with a premium because they're going to create images and do things like this. So, fair warning. You know, Unreal is today's HTML. And, you know, if you're, you know, any if you're under 25, learn Unreal and you'll always get a job. And the same way that you can find someone at $15 an hour, 18 or 25, who can code HTML, that's eventually going to happen with, you know, engines like Unreal. You know, it's going to, it'll take some time. But I do think, you know, there's this thing with AV about, do you want to be, do you want to be in the trades or do you want to be in the arts and sciences? Do you want to be AV plumbers or do you want to design water sculptures, you know? And there's places to play on, on both ends. And some of us like to do the water sculptures. Some of us like to do the cool stuff. And, you know, we want to work with somebody who's reliable with the plumbing. Yeah, we just, we got we to gotta just shift our mindset from being the GC, you know, based projects. Because everything is based around the building and the, and the general contracting and stuff like that. And start thinking a little bit outside the box. I think that that has given uh, a lot of freedom to projection mapping. It's given a lot of freedom to the LED uh, stuff like this, the the Nike signs and obviously the Balenciaga signs and all these ads that are getting attention. Man, even drones are finally starting to get the attention of people because it's more than just a camera on a on a helicopter, right? You're seeing these things being brought up in the same in the same context in 3D where they're adding depth and shapes and movement to these things that at one point we're just gonna, what, what can we make out of this? Oh, we can make an arrow to point that we're here. Awesome, now, what? I mean, look at what they're doing in place of fireworks. So it's oh, taking yeah. light shows and it's taking graphics and they're, they're, they're basically recreating the same thing with LED, you know, what they have with LED, but now it can float and go anywhere. Yeah, no, no pollution. You've got, you know, AI. I mean, NVIDIA was a big part of that with the AI and parallel processing and a hive mind for all these drones. I mean, we're, we're at a point where technology can do some really cool mm -hmm. things. It's just like you said, Chris, it's unleashing the Chris or like Bren said, who wants to be the sculptor and who wants to be the plumber, right? Like there's there's those two roles and they're both equally important. Our next stop is at AV Week 545, talking about the no coding software movement. As the name would imply, there's been a trend of tools to enable non-programmers to develop solutions without dedication to programming languages, all that rough stuff. Tim seemed to think that because of this, programming in a way was dead. But is it really that simple? Charmaine Torella, Jared Hillman, and Aaron Mayer Moran discuss the evolution of modern programming and what this all means for AV. So it's not like it's going away, but it's shifting from that type of coding where you're doing, uh, like you said, sitting down and writing lines and lines, and every time you add something, another set of lines and making sure it's correct. It's shifting away from that because the industry is shifting away from those types of integrations where you it requires that type of coding. But there is a level of coding that's being factored in with the soft solutions that are coming in, but it's not the same coding that AV is used to, right? Mm. It's not the same coding with the Crestron, the AMXs. It's different now, which is asking for 
a different type of skill set that you have to still understand the previous, but now you have to factor in the other things like JSON and HTML. That has to be now factored. That's never been really factored in before, but we really have to get hip to it. So it's not gonna go away, but it is shifting into something else. Um, and it still will be around for some complex rooms and systems, but there's gonna be more volume in the area that it's shifting towards. I hope that makes sense. I appreciate that a lot of um, these systems are becoming more configurable versus programming or you know full-on programming. But um, as a control system programmer myself, it's it's not going anywhere. Um, but Charmaine's right. It's it's a shift. They're moving away. Uh, a bit from the dedicated uh, languages that were used previously, and now they're moving more towards the same sort of languages that are used on web pages and in other IT applications. So it's going to be, I feel like, a bit more uh, universal and usable uh, for other applications and um, become more robust in allowing certain um, like database polls and things like that for much more complicated system designs. I think Aaron hit the, the nail on the head with saying configurable. And, and configurable programming has been around for a while, what, what I would have called you know pick and pluck or like block diagram programming before. And it's always worked really well pending you use everything within that ecosystem that's available within that configuration. And, and by saying what I mean by that is um, you, you know the, the configuration software and you know that it only pr provides modules for this device, that this display device and this amplifier and this speaker set and this DSP and, and that's what you stay with. It was almost like a, like a fixed architecture. So as long as you stay within that ecosystem, configurable programming works really well. I, I don't think advanced programming as I would see it is going anywhere because there's just not enough um, synergy yet across protocol and or not not protocol would be the right word but a, a, across the industry so when you get into a boardroom um, let's take Crestron for example or Extron has a, has a good example as well can you make a video conferencing room with your basic AV equipment work with configuration sure but now tie in the HVAC and the lights and the shades to which you have no idea what the brand is or what language it needs to communicate in. And that's where you have to open up to that advanced programming. So I don't think it's going anywhere, but I, I do really like how Steve's article says it's misleading because I see users see that and they go, well, if I can program this myself, well then Heather at the front desk, she could program this, couldn't she? Like, couldn't I have her do it? or? Ted on our IT team, I mean, he's a network guy. He should be able to do this. And so I, I do agree it is misleading, but I, I don't think it's going anywhere. Our last story is on AV Week 568 to discuss ESG. To adhere to the Bradford rule, ESG stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance. The company Vertiv released their first ESG report looking at their approach to energy efficiency, as well as diversity, equity and inclusion, health and safety, and a whole lot more. It's only fair, then, that we have Jennifer Goodyear, who talked to us about Rosie's Riveters, and Brandy Alvarado-Miranda, 
former Avixa Women's Council Chair and recipient of the 2021 Avixa Women in AV Award. I don't want to discount Brock McGinnis in this conversation either. After all, he is Canadian. This group joins us to talk about how companies within the AV industry can take issues like DEI and green AV seriously and improve the world while also improving our own industry. Obviously, the Women's Council initiatives and, and DEI kind of go hand in hand. Uh, Diversity is a, a, an issue that we've been seeing for many, many years. Have we moved the needle? Probably a bit, yeah, but we still have work to do in that respect. In terms of green initiatives, I mean, I think we all have to do our part. We all have to, to think about this and consider it for our future and for the future of our our kids, right? And and for future generations of that. And I think, you know, AVIX has done a really, really great job, not only with, you know, starting uh, councils, the Diversity Council, Women's Council, and other councils to kind of work on DEI, but also, you know, they've just started a big sustainability uh, initiative within, um, you know, within the organization to connect people to start working on green initiatives and sustainability issues and things like that. I think there's a lot of manufacturers out there. I mean, just recently we were at Epson, for instance, in their new headquarters, which is based in Los Alamitos, California, kind of a LA proper, if you will. <clears throat> and I really enjoyed that for a number of reasons, but one of the things that I noticed almost immediately is their lobby not only tells their company story, their beginnings, you know, and where they're based out of and, and all those things and showcases and highlights their products, but on one wall in specific in their new headquarters, it had a very detailed description of how they're going to get to, you know, uh, a, I guess it's a, a sustainability, uh, you know, statement really yeah. when it when it comes down to it how they're going to get to you know zero carbon and how they're getting to you know this area and, and by what year and these goals and and where they're at and i thought you know to myself that's really a great thing to put in your you know in your building but front and center right because people should be concerned about that type of uh of, of initiative and and uh and do our part to to get there um but i mean back to your question why is it important um you know, having a DEI policy in your company shows that you're not just um, looking for folks that are a, a fit, right, for your for your company. Uh, we hear that, oh, she was a great fit, that's why we hired her, right? Or he was a great company fit, he fit with the company culture. You know, somebody recently said, you know, instead of thinking about it as a cultural fit uh, for your company, we should think of it as a cultural ad. And I really, really liked that phraseology we should think about um, you know, hiring people that are adding to our value, adding to our company culture, not just being a fit, quote unquote. So. To, to add to that really quickly, and then Brock, I'll, I'll pick on you here in a second. As somebody who, who does lead a team now, a bigger team than I did a couple of years ago, uh, 100% agree with that because you, you, I want people on my team that don't Think like me, look like me, act like me. You know that that's that is one of those things that you actively seek out other other points of view. Um, Brock's same kind of question is whether it's the DEI or it's the the green initiatives. Where in the industry is this is this important, or where should it be important? DEI is a no brainer, uh, and it's uh, you know it's certainly um, as a Canadian I can say it's been a greater part of our DNA uh, for a long time. Uh, just um, uh, we're we're very multicultural. Uh, you know, the office where I'm working is 
very multicultural, multi-faith, um, and uh, and um, to Brandy's point, I mean, if you're hiring for fit, um, you're actually creating a homogenous environment, and uh, and that's not good for any of us. And I think that's what plagued uh, the AV industry for so long. And uh, somebody <clears throat> on on my side of the microphone may have been saying that for more than a decade uh, in response to the, the calls to hire for fit. Um, ESG initiatives, um, I, I have a real challenge with as, as small companies and as individuals because uh, so much of the climate change impact is macro. Uh, it's not micro. Um, the, uh, uh, and, you know, I, I think uh, I read the article that you provided to us and and I think a lot of it is is really just, you know, trying to pat yourself on the back and say, we're trying hard. Um, when companies start fly, stop flying people all over the country for meetings, um, you know, I'll, I'll look at that. And I've, I certainly know individuals who've decided that they're not going to fly. Uh, they're going to more localize rather than globalize. Um, but uh, because... Uh, flying is is one of the biggest um, optional or variable contributors uh, to climate change in North America for sure. Uh, so, but uh, but I'm really challenged. I know that we you know we re recycle stuff at the office. Um, we uh, uh, only use uh, Energy Star compliant uh, equipment, but this has been for years and years. You know, we we made the um, Made the transition to uh, Rojas uh, stuff to you know uh, materials that don't off gas. Um, I was involved with uh, lead buildings from the very beginning of that, and it's great and uh, and it is a step in the right direction. But it's such a tiny step uh, compared to say making your electricity with coal. Uh, there, there, I, I know. I mean, and and that's one of the things that that you know at least us in the States, and we can get into a conversation about nuclear power versus solar energy versus wind, at least down here. Uh, it's a whole different conversation. Um, Jennifer, uh, last question, you know, you'll, you'll have the last one on this. You know, what does it look like for the industry to start taking DEI and, and you know, other issues more seriously? It's only going to be better for the future for all of us. Like Brandy said, we have our children and the future to look forward to. And we need to leave the world better for them. And then as far as diversity and inclusion goes, this industry is just going to turn itself into one giant echo chamber if we don't start including people that think differently than us. And you'll just be going around in one giant circle instead of moving forward if we don't have people that have a new perspective. And I think that uh, Brock is absolutely right that it's not a micro, it's a macro uh, issue. And you can see that that Microsoft actually had the top ESG score in 2021. So that kind of shows, hey, we're this massive company, and we're doing everything we can. Yeah, it's kind of a pat on the back. But it's also a good example for all the other companies out there to go, if they can do it at the level they are, we should be doing it as well. Thank you for joining us for this trip down memory lane. If you want to stay covered on the latest news and information concerning the AV industry or want to hear more shows talking in this vertical, check us out at avnation.tv. While you're there, 
check out our underwriters because they're the ones that let us do shows like this, give me something to work with, and we thank them for that. If you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe. Don't make me say the thing like hit the bell and all that junk. I, you know, I trust you. I am on socials. It's less about AV and more about my own drawings and writings and junk. So I'm going to take a page from Tim and say, don't follow at Maelstrom Tear. I made it hard to spell on purpose. Totally. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. That is all the time we have for AV Week. <laughs>